Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Against small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google Workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial by going to nordpass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years, and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you the all, all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really incredible founder. You know, we're going to be talking about building, scaling, you know, also a very interesting transaction that, you know, he's done as well with a private equity firm and how, you know, they actually, you know, they structure that. But nevertheless, I think that you're all going to find this very inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Ryan Begging. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, Alejandro. So let's do a little bit of a walk through memory lane, Ryan. So originally, you know, out of Maine. So how was life growing up? Uh, slow, remote, um, somewhat isolated, as you could imagine. But, you know, foundational, I think, growing up, the opportunity to explore, work with, you know, machinery and, and tools and uh, sort of explore different uh, systems and electronics, mechanical. Uh, it was uh, it was it was really unique. Now, also very unique, you know, the fact that you were very much into problems, into engineering, you know, so to speak. And 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 you were also the very first person in your family to go to college. So how did you get into the whole problem solving, you know, engineering thing and 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 also becoming the first family member to to go to college? You know, I think it's funny. It's I, I look back now and I look at my family, I, I look at my son and I can sort of see the same 
curiosity, wanting to take things apart and rebuild them in your own way. And I think a lot of people have these experiences. Uh, we had, I had the unique opportunity, you know, had a machine shop with my uncle and very large garages and tools to do some uh, some interesting things and a lot of family support. You know, my my father would bought me my first five boxes of used electronics and old in oscilloscope and just playing with this equipment. It it then translated into electronics in high school to so going into vocational, which I think is a little taboo sometimes when you think about like going into voc is is like that trade element. But as I thought about going into university and electrical engineering, I had a completely different foundational skill set than anybody else that I interacted with uh, at school. So then let's talk about life after school. So getting into, you know, the whole thing, you know, around around solar, you know, cars and, and, and really good stuff. You know, like how did you venture into into all of that? Well, so I think building things and playing with things when I was uh, when I was, you know, home, high school and, and trying to invent. And now here's this team, uh, university supported. We were raising money with General Electric and GM. And uh, so it was, a, it was a completely different experience at a much higher, more professional scale. Uh, actually, uh, the, the leader of our solar car team has gone on to create a renewable energy company that has gone public, uh, which is really exciting to see that journey for him. But it's really the same principles. It's, it's understanding the design and my hands-on experience growing up, I think, lended itself to the team in a really unique way that I knew how to solder, you know, really fundamental things. I knew how to route wires and, and do other things that made me more valuable. And I got more responsibility and, and more exposure. So, you know, when we were raising money for solar car and we were going to Corning, you know, that was a really unique opportunity. It definitely translates into entrepreneurship when we think about it's not just building the product. You have to have money to build the product. And and obviously, you know, here you you had it in you, right? You know, based on the problem solving approach that you've had and, you know, how you went to school and everything. Why do you think it 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 took you, you know, a few jobs to really, you know, venture out on your own and, and start a company? I think it is a I think it's opening up the aperture of what is the world? How does the world actually function? Um you know, growing up, holding a job for 30, 45 years was was applauded. That was what you do. You go to General Electric and you're there for life. You get your pension. And um, the idea of venturing off on your own to do something, it, you know, frankly, it freaked my parents out when I said I was quitting my job at Raytheon and we're going to venture and do our own thing and play with food waste. And, you know, the idea of working with food waste and making money from from food waste was uh was very different. So when I go back to leaving university, going into Proton Energy Systems, which is now Nell Hydrogen, we I was in, I hired around employee number 26, uh, had hundreds of millions do of dollars in the bank, and I was hired into a team to to build and explore product. And I think this idea of exploring product brought me back to that solar car experience. I was I was pretty good at it um, at Nell, and that curiosity just kind of continuing and, and drive to wanting to build things, I think is very unique and it's important to me. And, and talking about, you know, this saying this first stint, you know, that you did, I mean, at that point is when you started to think that it would make sense to apply to business schools, but you know, it doesn't sound like uh, they were very welcoming. So 
So how do you take that on? And, 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 and why did you think at this point that a master's degree was, you know, the next day, you know, a critical point in your, in your journey? So I saw when I was at Proton, the pushing into a new frontier and trying to create an industry that didn't exist. I don't think that I, I didn't have the requisite skill set to to really recognize how do you make this product work and 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 create cash flow. It's a really different experience growing up and learning how to you know uh, lay out op amps, but now you're trying to create you know balance sheets. So going into business, trying to get into business school, I, I thought that was my path. Uh, clearly, it, it wasn't <laughs> after being rejected by every school. And I knew that I wanted an opportunity to maybe take a step back and add to my toolbox. So controls and, you know, really going deeper into electrical engineering. At that point in time, the idea of neural nets, this is circa 2001, 2002. Um, you know, we were programming fuzzy logic controllers at that point. This was sort of like brand new cutting edge type things. So I think, you know, opening up going back and sort of resetting within university created that opportunity to go then back into the, the working world. So then at Raytheon, I mean, it sounds like that's just like the segue for you know, getting into entrepreneurship. So what do you think happened there for you to say, hey, I, I think I want to I wanna take this one on. I think I want to go on my own. So I got in trouble a lot at Raytheon. I brought my Proton Energy Ingenuity Entrepreneurial hat with me into Raytheon, and it really wasn't welcomed. <laughs> I had a boss. I remember I, I took initiative to to do a project. I found you know a, a, a rather important issue, but I but I sort of broke chain of command, and he was screaming at me in his office. I think that was the point I realized this is not the right environment for me. I want to solve problems. I want to make an impact. And so I started, you know, uh, talking with folks and trying to understand what other opportunities I knew I wanted to get back to renewable energy between solar car and green hydrogen and seeing what was happening. I think if you look at like the clean tech revolution, it was clean tech 1.0 in the 2000, 2010, there was a reawakening. So around 2007, getting in early into that, to that time frame, um, that's where I decided to take the leap of faith and hook up with with other entrepreneurs to to create something from scratch is hard so then what happened next mistakes movement i mean we 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 really trying to create very similar to my experience at proton trying to create an industry that doesn't exist and how do you make money doing that how do you protect your intellectual property how do you fundraise when investors don't quite understand what it is you're doing and, and why you're doing it. Do they really understand the problem? Do you have the right solution? Is it scalable? So it was a journey after that. And for the people that are that are listening to to get it, what ended up being the business model of Divert? How do you guys make money? So we started with this concept of behind the grocery store, taking their wasted food and turning it into renewable energy. So this is a, a biological process called anaerobic digestion. And what happens is you're effectively taking the carbon that's locked up in food. You have bacteria, methanogens that are consuming that food and turning it into biogas. Biogas is about 60% methane, so it's very similar in molecular structure to natural gas. 
So it's a, it's a renewable fuel. It comes from waste. Uh, it's, it's stable. It's somewhat mature technology. It happens naturally. And we were doing this behind the grocery store and like, what a stupid idea. Because when you think about the problem we were solving and you think about wasted food across the United States, 63 million tons. And here we are with a, a really focused product that our customer was excited. So we did have validation on the customer side. Uh, we built our first system. It kind of worked. And we realized that it just wasn't a scalable solution. We, we then sort of went back and we, and we pulled ourselves to understand what is working really well, what's novel about what we're doing, and, and what's not working. These same principles of pulling back and really self-evaluating, is this the right solution for the market? We're still doing these today as we introduce new products and new solutions to solve the wasted food crisis. So obviously on the business model, you guys had to tweak it you know, quite a bit. And when it comes to also combining that with, with a canvas, and, 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 and really having, you know, like entrepreneurs do, they have their own, you know, canvas in their own head. And it's all about being able to translate what you're thinking and what you're dreaming into a picture that you can really translate to others that can help you in the right direction, in the same direction that you're hoping uh, with the same, you know, kind of like move and, you know, all of that. I mean, how did you go about combining those two uh, in order to really, you know, hit that product market fit? I think you have to have conviction and humility, and they have to coexist, and they really do not want to coexist. Those are uh, competing for your attention, I think, for your own value as you as you sort of see yourself and how am I spending my time? Am I solving the right problem? It's a really hard thing to do to take a look at something that you spent years working on and saying, maybe this isn't the right solution. Uh, even with a little bit of validation. So when we did that, what we ended up with is a putting ourselves on a path to really solving the right problem, doing it at scale. So now we still work with grocery stores. They're, they're our biggest customer base. We're still using anaerobic digestion. We're producing renewable energy. But we found some really creative ways to solve problems. But we can't solve those problems if we don't identify what those problems are or our shortcomings are. And doing that earlier into the process, something else that's incredibly unique about us as a business, we raised $5.4 million over the first 15 years of our existence. And we did that building infrastructure. So we're now we're really having to commit capital to, to buying pumps and screw presses and other things. So how do you do that? You're, you have to be creative in the approach. Uh, a lot of businesses that were kind of doing similar things never made it because they took on too much too fast. And we never, we never, we never went down that path because we were always pushing ourselves. Do we have the right business model? But at the same time, you're out in the market, you're pushing and testing your concepts and thoughts. So you have to be able to pull back and, and self-evaluate. So was that perhaps what they drove avoiding capital? I think avoiding capital came down to not wanting to lose control. We just had, you know, a phenomenal exit this about a year ago with an incredible partner. We would have never gotten there if we had given up control eight years prior. And the reason is when you move into accepting other cash, they need to put that cash to work. And I think we, we looked around. There was a, a competitor of ours, Harvest Power. Uh, they raised $400 million from Kleiner Perkins 
when they did that, we said, oh, no, we are we are dead. They're just going to eat our lunch and put us out of business and take all of our customers. But they didn't because what happened, they had a business model that wasn't really fully defined, in our opinion, my opinion, wasn't fully defined. And they then took all that rocket fuel and they just launched that thing into the wrong direction. Meanwhile, we were sort of the tortoise. We were moving through and thinking and working and trying to solve problems to put together the right business model that just recently we felt that the market was ready. Our customers were ready. We were ready. The model was ready. We knew how to make money. Now it's time to push. And I think we're being rewarded for that patience now. So we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's Asynchronous, I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com is just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast growing business. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. And, and at what point do you realize, hey, I think that we are now ready to scale this thing. Like we're now, we, I think we have it right. I think that we have this thing ready to go. That's a great question. I, I think there is a certain amount of customer adoption that's required to validate how we're thinking about this. Uh, you can look at the growth prospects and on unit economic basis to say this is this is working. And it's not just working in one specific market under one set specific set of conditions. This is something that scales into, you know, from from Los Angeles into the southeast. And that really is taking an effective look at how well can you capture your TAM? 
it's easy to say that there's 63 million tons of wasted food in the U.S. It's a $408 billion problem. Is your model ready to tackle that problem? So I think that's part of it. I think really understanding the problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, food waste is wasted food is, a, is an incredibly complex issue for a whole variety of issues. And do we have the right solution? So you're also looking at the the changes in regulations, consumer behaviors, our customers' behavior. And what we see in, within the wasted food space, we have always been, or we had started off as reducing wasted food, stopping that from getting into landfills. And the model was awesome, create renewable energy, save the fertilizer. This is incredibly important. It's going to stop methane emissions. But what you start to realize, and this was part of our journey, when you're getting wasted food out of the landfill, you look at it differently and you say, well, wait a second, why are we throwing all of this away? So we would spend time in Europe because you can kind of look at a 10-year look ahead if you go to Europe and see what they're doing within their food system. And you come back and you say, that's what we're going to look like. There are models that worked and failed. So we came back and we said, why aren't we reducing wasted food? The value proposition is so much better. That is our actual customer's problem. They don't have an anaerobic digestion problem. Our customers don't want to throw good food away. So that's the evolution of the business model. When you see these things start to click and you have these big aha moments and you start to unlock real value that's competitive and protectable, that's when you know, in my opinion and my experience, when you're ready. So then let's talk about that. You know, let's double click on the on the transactional side. I know that you guys very recently, you know, did a, a transaction with a private equity firm. So walk us through how that came about and then, you know, like the ins and outs of that. I mean, what was what what was the outcome of that? And and yeah, so I, I think that for the people that are listening, you know, probably they're more used to the venture, you know, capital thing and then you know, perhaps getting a, a an acquisition from like a big corporation. Obviously, in this case, you know, it was a private equity firm. You know, it was it was a combination of different things that came to light. But uh, nevertheless, you know, super interesting stuff. You know, and very super unique for the people that are listening to. So, tell us about that. It was probably our third or fourth foray into exploring an acquisition. And you know, I think the first time you go down that path, you get excited. I think this is going to happen. You start calculating what's my equity worth and all of these things. And and you're so naive. <laughs> we were so naive. You can't read the situation. You can't really read. You don't understand exactly how the deal is going to be negotiated, how it's going to be structured. What do you really want uh, to be successful on the back end? You know, four-letter word, earnout. Uh, are you going down that path? Why? We engaged, you know, after our first, you know, our second, and you kind of go through these conversations, you get smarter every time. We started to engage bankers. We really wanted to understand what is the value? What's the market think of our business and what we've created and, and where we can go? That, I think that experience brings out more, more self-truth, understanding what's working, what's not. And, and, and maybe you said it before, you have something in your head. You have to be able to communicate that out. But what's coming back when you go through that process, you see what the market's putting back at you. Here's how you're being perceived. Here's what we believe about what you're saying. We don't think you can do X. We think you can do Y. And that's where we see value. So that process for us was probably over a period of maybe like four years. And so what happens, it's sort of maybe like finding the love of your life. When you find the right one, you know. Um, 
our partners, we knew we were looking for somebody that was working to solve impact. We, we really wanted to be aligned on mission. We, we needed somebody who appreciated the value of infrastructure. Wasted food is, is incredibly complex. You have to touch it. You have to build things. Typically, VCs are not, you know, it's the asset light. No, uh, nothing in the ground. We want software, certainly over the prior 10 years. So finding somebody who valued that part of us as well, uh, knew where we were in our journey and where we were in our growth stage, knowing that we needed more capital, that we had only raised a very small amount. I don't even think it would qualify as a, a seed round now. Willing to put more capital to work. So the deal structure becomes more complex, but for all the right reasons, and we understand those reasons, things that we wouldn't have understood four years prior. And so when you go back into this deal structure and you think about what are the next five, 10 years going to look like, um, you know, you really have that preordained and uh, scripted. Now, not everything works out exactly as we expect, but at least we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction. And that's what we found in our, in our private equity partner. So what were, what were the terms, you know, of this deal, if you can share anything? So in total, that was a uh, $200 million transaction. Um, it was, it was a hundred million going onto our balance sheet. That was, that was required as part of the deal. And that's why we did the deal. We knew that we needed to, um, we needed to reapproach the, the, the governance of the, of the business. How do we think about the business? Where are we going in this new frontier? It's, it's sort of that next evolution of the business. So we needed to we needed to bring in some new some new thoughts, ideas, uh, board, if you will, ownership structure, and that's what we were able to do with with Ara. And 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 obviously, you know, talking about where you're heading, I want to ask you something here. I mean, if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of the company is fully realized, what does that look like? So for us, that would mean that instead of 63 million tons of wasted food being generated across the US we've cut that in half we've done that with with responsible infrastructure so responsible infrastructure for us is technology enabled we understand where wasted food is being generated we're using that infrastructure to drive that data that intelligence back into the food supply chain and we've connected the systems in a way that we are we are reducing food from coming into our facilities, but we're, we're really being paid for that. And we're incentivized on that with nationwide scale. And it sounds like obviously food waste. I mean, you, you, you were quite ahead of the curve here because I find that now there's like much more consciousness around this. So you guys, it's, it's nothing like being at the right time in history, right? When you're an entrepreneur and it sounds like you guys have been able to ride the wave. What do you think is driving that shift, that consciousness now around food waste? And that is a, a conscious food waste versus wasted food. When you walk into one of our facilities and you see what is going to waste, it, the question is always, why, why is this being thrown away? Why is the bruised apple? And if you think about everything that's happened to that apple from the seed going into the ground, the watering, the fertilizer, the transportation from harvest, the cooling, the merchandising, all of this accretive value and carbon that's put into that apple to go all the way through that journey, to get to the end and it's got a bruise. Nobody wants it. And then it's going into the recycling bin. So even if it's not going into the trash, which is fantastic and really important, 
that awareness is really changing things. So California had food waste recycling laws in Europe, food waste recycling laws could put it into the landfill for obvious reasons. But France in 2016, California followed nine months after banning edible food in France from going into the trash. And then California has said with SB 1383, we need to reduce all of your food that's going to waste by 20%. What a radical idea, right? We just had food waste bans being passed across the country and currently happening. But California has gone further. Washington state has followed. So all of that is being driven by the idea of looking into what is going to waste. And I think giving a greater appreciation to our resources, the time, the effort that goes into food. We are, we I believe are ahead on this journey, thinking about how do we use our position at the end of the supply chain to better inform solutions? How do we help drive food donation? And we're doing that today. How do you integrate technologies to drive source reduction? So don't bring that food into the grocery store if it's not going to get sold. Make sure your refrigeration systems are working appropriately. Why are we not marking food down for it with a coupon to move it out the front door? Really important to grocery stores as well because they need to stay in business. Really thin net profit margins. So it's that entire food system coming together. Now, obviously, you know, you've been at it for a while. You know, I mean, we're talking about over like 15 years, you know, it's like uh, in the startup world. I mean, dog years. I mean, that's like a lifetime, right, of, of being like in the general electric of the world that you were alluding to earlier. So so I guess imagine if you had the opportunity of, you know, going back in time and perhaps, you know, you are able to sit down that younger self, that younger self that is still incorporated and, and you know, like thinking through, you know, what will be a world, you know, where where you could bring, you know, a solution to a problem. And if you were able to have a sit down with your younger self and giving that younger self, that younger Ryan, one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Uh, that's interesting because I will frequently go back to what younger Ryan did to make sure he does not do the same things again as we as we kind of push forward here. If we were to go back and course correct certain periods of time, I think business probably looks a lot like what it does today. Had we taken on more VC type capital early into the business, I don't think we would have made it. I think we would have been pushed to scale faster and it would have been the failure of the business because the market wasn't ready. So it's hard to go back and say, what would be the things that we would do differently? Because I don't think the market was ready for our solutions. I to your point, we probably could have went and founded another business and then come into the business in 2014, seven years, right? And and probably had a good position if, if we knew everything that we knew today. Uh, but I do think our position today within Wasted Food is, is coveted. Uh, it is highly respected. We have some of the largest customers in the country that we are scaling with. Um, I don't think I don't think we have any regrets. I think that there are some things that we might do differently on the capital raising side, the structure of the business, how we approach solutions, maybe getting technology integrated sooner, getting the idea of wasted food into our vocabulary instead of food waste. It's complex. And now one thing that you mentioned there, market ready versus, you know, not market ready. You know, what's what's the difference between one another? Can you get paid? 
<laughs> I think yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it, Ryan. So, so I, for the for the folks that are listening to you know that that are listening now and and that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? LinkedIn. I am. That's the only social media I have time for, and I'm on. Amazing. Well, hey, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. I really appreciate it. Likewise, great opportunity. Thank you so much, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.